0: Welcome to the Tinley Talks podcast, where we dive into the common legal issues facing today's community associations. Whether you're a manager, board member, or homeowner, you're sure to pick up on some nuggets of advice to help you build a successful community in this ever-evolving and changing world.
1: Hello, and welcome to Tinley Talks. I'm Ramona Acosta.
2: And I'm Tim Plubnikin.
1: And today we're talking about SB 326, The Balcony Bill, with Paul Pickett of Empire Works Reconstruction. Paul is the West Coast Regional Vice President of Empire Works Reconstruction, Construction Defect Services Division. Founded in 2002, Empire Works Reconstruction has local operations throughout California. Paul is a licensed general contractor who spent the last 14 years specifically focused on reconstruction for HOAs. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about the Balcony Bill. The Balcony Bill was passed two years ago, went into effect last year i believe right tim uh yes and it requires that balconies need to have their first inspection completed by january 1st 2025 so we've got a little bit of time on this but as we get into the the nitty-gritty of this legislation we're going to realize that we probably need to start working on this now so tim do you know anything about how this bill came about what the impetus was behind it
2: Yeah, so there were, um, I think there was one key uh, event, and maybe a few other kind of related ones, but essentially there was a tragic uh, loss where a number of students in a housing project fell from a balcony that had collapsed, and I think six students died, and seven were injured. So at the end of the investigation, um, they determined that had the balcony been properly inspected and addressed for the the issues that were identified or would have been identified, this event likely would not have happened. So at that point, many of the families of the students who had passed um, took it upon themselves to start to petition the legislature for revisions uh, and reform to some of the obligations for condominium projects to inspect the balconies so that these events would not happen in the future.
1: So... I think some of the the confusion that many people have is I, I think that the perception was that, well, this was a college party. These were a bunch of kids that all piled on this balcony. They were all sitting outside. They were drinking, partying, dancing, and they weighed down the balcony and the balcony fell. And so there's been like they contributed to this. Crisis, but from what I understand, and, and from looking back at some of the old news reports and um, some of the legislative history, it looks like um, that wasn't the case. That there were mushrooms that were actually growing on the balcony through the balcony surface. That there was dry rot damage. That there was an indication that there, that this balcony had not been inspected and maintained, and that the kids had reported it to the landlord and to the management company, and that nothing had, no repairs were made. It was essentially ignored. Is that right?
2: Yeah. I I don't recall the specifics offhand, but from my original research, it seemed that this balcony was severely distressed from dry rot, as you said. There are clear indications that um, it was suffering from structural instability and that it needed to be addressed. Um, And so, again, it's a situation where had it been addressed, it very likely would not have happened. Again, who knows what the load and the amount of people on there, but... The, uh, the issues with the deck were significant enough to um, warrant significant overhaul of the deck system, absolutely. And
3: I've seen pictures of that balcony. Uh, after it went down, they were looking for contractors to go out and try to help them identify what happened out there, and I saw pictures afterwards. And the wood rot inside of that balcony made it look like it was on fire from the inside. It was completely black and rotted out, and if there was any inspection that had been done it would have been immediately flagged and people's lives would have been saved.
1: So this is something that was entirely preventable. 100%. So I think that, you know, from from our perspective, I I used to be a manager. um, You know, Tim, you've been an attorney in this industry for a long time. And I think um, sometimes we get pushback from some of our homeowners associations where the requirement or the recommendation is that you resurface the balcony every three to five years. You inspect it from time to time for the dry rot and the termite damage. And sometimes we get pushback from our associations because it looks fine. We don't have a lot of money. We don't want to raise our assessments. And I think this is kind of a, um, a gut check for all of us and that this, these are the ultimate consequences if we're not fulfilling that fiduciary duty.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great example of the real harm that can occur when associations fail to properly uphold their maintenance and repair obligations, which include inspection of major components. Absolutely.
1: So as much as this is going to be another burden, another maintenance burden, another financial burden. Ultimately, it's probably going to be good, good for the industry as a whole, I would imagine. So who does this apply to? I, I, from my understanding, there's a sister uh, piece of legislation that relates to apartments, and then this is for condominiums?
2: That's correct. It's only for condominium projects. Yes.
1: Now, what about um, townhomes, planned developments? Not necessarily single-family homes, but they're technically a planned development, but they're attached to... They're townhome style. They look like condominiums. Could there be some maintenance responsibility or obligation there?
2: Uh, Conceivably. So the the language of the statute really turns on uh, who has the maintenance obligation, the maintenance and repair obligation. So if you have a situation where it's a multifamily building of three or more units... And the maintenance repair obligation of the load bearing structural components of the deck system fall onto the homeowners association. They should arguably have the ma- uh, the obligation for these inspections under Silica Code Section five 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 one.
1: Okay, so I can't, as a manager, you know, or, or as a, a homeowner association, I can't say, well. Technically, we're not condominiums. We're a plan development. If I have responsibility to maintain the exterior of the building, I have a responsibility to maintain the balcony or that deck structure. There, th- we could be subject to this bill, regardless of whether it's a condominium or a plan development under that legal definition.
2: Yeah, I I would think in the absence of any case law that comes out that clarifies the scope of this legislation, I think it's safe to say that if it's a building that has more than three multifamily units in the building structure and the obligation falls to the association to repair and maintain those decks, absolutely. We would recommend that they um, maintain and and inspect under the statute.
1: Okay. Well, let's get into um, the meat of the bill itself um, because it's pretty extensive the way I look at it. Um, It looks like the first inspection has to be be completed by January 1st, 2025, and then it needs to be completed every nine years thereafter. And it's just an inspection requirement. It's not a repair requirement, correct?
2: That's correct. It's three or
3: more units in a building. Anything more than three. Right. And it's just CID. Any any common interest development is the only thing that it it calls for, anything that the community has to maintain. And the the big thing, too, is that they're exterior elevated elements. So you could have a... You can have a 20-story building, but if it doesn't have any wood-framed exterior elevated elements, it wouldn't need to be
2: inspected.
1: Right. Right.
2: So wood-framed is is important, too. Yeah, we've already had some weird ones where they have decks, but they're, like, recessed and, like, you know, but they're in the middle. They're really weird. Or they have components of the
3: deck that are wood, and then the other stuff is steel, and and I've seen that where it's a steel-framed structure, but then it has, like, wood sheathing, and even that has to be inspected.
1: Yeah, and one of the things, you know, when we do our presentations on this on this bill We've had some Some board members Who have said Oh well we're fine Our, our balcony Those are, our balconies Are still we're great yeah. And I think about that And I think about The community where I live And I think Okay well I have concrete stairs With wrought iron railings So good And then you go upstairs And the deck itself The deck surface is concrete And it's got a vinyl railing So I'm like Good good And then I go back downstairs And I look up And I'm like Oh yeah That's all supported by wood beams all of it. All of it.
3: Yeah. So it's, it's just lightweight concrete on top of waterproofing, on top of wood sheeting, and wood right, beams. So right. potentially can leave it out, which is what you ended up having there in Berkeley when right. it collapsed. Right.
1: So, so so it, it, it yeah. would fall under the bill. So inspections need to be completed every nine years beginning January 1st, and they need to be completed by a licensed architect or a structural engineer. Why does it need to be a structural engineer and not just any general contractor?
2: I think that's a good question, Um, and we don't have a lot of background on the... Well, I take it back. There is a lot of uh, legislative comments about how this came about, but in terms of that particular point, it seems that given the significance of these types of inspections and given their intent to prevent uh, life safety issues, it seems that they kind of upped the standards for the professionals inspecting it to ensure that the inspection is adequate so a structural engineer is well equipped to evaluate a system to determine if it is going to be structurally uh, sufficient to deliver the loads it needs to and an architect generally will have the same kind of educational background to make those determinations not that general contractors could not do this i'm sure there's many competent uh, general contractors in california that would be well equipped to do this adequately But for whatever reason, the legislature felt it appropriate, given the significance, um, to make sure it was done by an architect or structural engineer. So why that is the case
3: is also going back to um, 721, which is the apartment bill, right? And initially when they came out with this balcony inspection bill, which was 721, they said anyone can inspect it. That's somewhat licensed or competent enough to do it, but you have to open up 20% of your structure. And the HOA industry said, no way, we don't have the funds to open up 20% of our structure or 10, 15%, whatever it was, because you have these massive number of balconies on this and it would bankrupt these HOAs. And so it went back to court and, or or back to the legislature, and the 721 continued ahead and they pulled out the HOA component at the end. And then they came out with SB 326 a year later and said, okay, then what we're going to do is just that. We're going to... Take the requirements for who's inspecting, and we're going to increase that to make sure that we're getting competent, licensed professionals on it. But we're going to limit the number of things that we are going to look for. And so, instead of opening up everything, we're just going to do a visual observation of your wood frame components and the and the adjacent waterproofing systems. And so that's why those changed in the end.
1: And I think that makes sense too, because if you have, you know, again thinking about my my days as a manager. If I ask a general contractor to go out and look at it and, and say, okay, inspect all of my balconies or inspect all of my exterior elevated elements and tell me what kinds of repairs that need to be made, I'm incentivizing that contractor to find problems. Right, versus having you know a, a, an independent third party. We talk about this in so many other areas of association law, where we talk about you need to hire a consultant who's an expert in the field, a thir- an independent third party, because there is th- the motivations are different.
3: But that's also why in seven twenty one, where a contractor can do the investigation, they can't do the repairs. Right. That's not the case in three twenty six. So in SB three twenty six, there is no. Uh, clause in there saying that the person who's doing the inspections cannot do the repairs because the person doing the inspections is a licensed architect or engineer, and they're not going to be doing repairs anyways. Right. And so, that's one of the distinctions as to why and there's a separation there.
1: Right. So it, it, the the bill requires that the exterior elevated elements and their associated waterproofing elements are in a generally safe condition and performing in accordance with applicable standards. That's the actual language from the bill. And Paul, you've mentioned exterior elevated elements a couple of times. You've mentioned associated waterproofing elements. So in layman's terms, what what exactly are we talking about?
3: We're we're basically talking about wood-framed balconies, decks, stairways, catwalks, walkways, anything that projects out past the building face. That has some type of a wood component and a waterproofing system that's adjacent or as part of that that assembly. Uh, and so, private balconies is probably the biggest one that people are going to know. Or exterior walkways, if those have any type of wood frame system, where they're either cantilevered out or they're they're attached to the face of the building, uh, those are the those elements because they're wood uh, have the ability to rot out and and fail if. They're not inspected if they're not built correctly if moisture is being trapped inside, just like we had with the the Berkeley collapse, and that wood continues to rot out um, without inspection. So those are the those are what the EEE or exterior elevated elements are.
1: Okay, so because I, th- I think um, some of the confusion and, and it's you know self created by our, our industries because we've called it the balcony bell, and it's. Everything. It's everything that's, what, I think six feet off the ground. Yep. So like you said, stairways, catwalks, anything that's elevated that um, is intended for people to walk on, essentially, right? Yes. Um, And the visual inspection, again, this is language from the bill, needs to be a sufficient number of units to provide 95% confidence within a margin of error of plus plus or minus 5%. What does that mean?
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I've asked a ton of people for clarification. I've even gone out to like statisticians to try to figure out exactly how to come up with a 95% uh, confidence rate with a margin and error of 5% on top of it. And I get totally vast answers from everyone. I've yet to get a consistent answer of this is how you do it. And so in the end, it's it depends on how many of those elements there are. So if there are only 10 balconies, then I'm inspecting 10 of them. If there are 300 balconies, then I'm going to take a random sampling. We're going to create a matrix of it. We'll take a random sampling where we can inspect at least in a, in a case like that, somewhere around, you know, uh, I would say if it's a case of 300, we'd probably inspect around 250 to 270 balconies. Knowing where it's at, that one is, is still up in the air, but because they're visual, they're able to go a lot quicker um, especially if we don't have to get access through all the different, you know, units or anything else, we can use uh, boom lists from the outside, ladders, uh, drones. I've used drones on some of the inspections that we've done. That's interesting. There's there's different components and different ways of of handling it. Um, but really what we're looking for is any sign of, of water intrusion, staining, anything like that. that so, there,
1: And there's no destructive testing. So there, we don't have to get up there. We don't have to poke anything, rip anything open.
3: So so no, we don't have to do destructive testing during the initial investigation unless we see signs that there's a potential for water intrusion in it. So if we see massive staining under a balcony where it looks like wood is sitting on top of like your, your stucco or, or your drywall sheeting, then... That inspector, that architect or engineer could then say, hey, this is worrisome to me. There are signs that something isn't right there. Or the waterproofing is is pulling up and, and uh, delaminating from the edge metal, and it looks like there's water intrusion under the waterproofing membrane. They can say, this doesn't look right here. I want to open this thing up. And so at that point, you can call for a destructive testing on those specific elements that the architect or engineer says... Uh, this doesn't look right, and we need to do further inspection.
1: And, and Tim, that is the inspector's, that's the engineer's determination. So if the engineer comes back and tells the board we need to dig deeper, that's not a board decision. That's the engineer's decision, to my understanding. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that is correct. And to go back to that point, though, I I think it's important to identify the statute does require a visual inspection of the load-bearing components. So if the load-bearing components are concealed, you have to destructively test to visually inspect them. So in a closed-deck system, you're going to have to open it up to visually inspect the load-bearing components because they're not they're not exposed for visual inspection, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So th- I think that that's a um, interesting thing. But yeah, the, the termination is on the expert to make those calls, and the board will not be. They don't have the discretion to to walk back a recommendation from one of the experts. Yeah.
1: Okay. So if the engineer says it needs it it
2: needs it and and it
3: also talks about different ways to do that i mean you could use a boroscope you can use infrared you don't have to take things apart to see if there's any potential moisture inside of it if you're looking at the exterior you know elevated elements and and if there's a wood component that's that's behind it or underneath the stucco surface there are ways of inspecting that before you get to Mm -hmm. ripping the bottom of it open and and seeing it visually They, they list different ways that you can inspect
0: like what you hear so far make sure to subscribe to the tinley talks podcast at tinleylaw.com and never miss an episode this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support now let's get back to the show yeah i just i just
1: think it's important to understand that it's going to be the inspector's call to determine if it needs further inspection and what is the what's going to be the appropriate way to conduct that inspection whether it's borescope or whatever tools that we're going to use And then the other thing is it says a sufficient number of units to provide 95% confidence. That doesn't mean 95% of the units. That means 95% confidence of all the balconies and 95% confidence of all the stairways. It's each element or each component, not necessarily the unit as a whole.
2: That's correct. And let me – not to get too academic here, but this – the – what they're calling for here is actually really complex and you kind of identified it. It's not there's there's not a lot of agreement on what this means, but what to my way of thinking, what they were trying to do is integrate methods that are commonly used in construction defect litigation to allow an association to not have to look at every single balcony, but then based on the sample set that was selected to determine within a reasonable margin of error that this is representative of everything out there. So uh, like in construction defect litigation. A statistician will be retained to create a randomized list of units that are then tested. And then if the testing protocol is followed to the statistician specifications, we can say within a certain margin of error that whatever was identified with those sample set of units is representative of the project as a whole. And based on my discussions with statisticians that we had used in the past the margins of error um, depend on the results you get back. And so this is problematic because in a, in a project of 100 units, the statistician may say, you start with 20 units and here's the list and go test them. Based on the results of those inspections, that will affect how many more units you need to test to get within a 75% margin of error. So it's really technical. And as council to associations, we're making the recommendation that, you know, statisticians should be involved with this because unless you're doing 100%, Getting to a ninety-five percent confidence interval is—it's a challenge, and it's something that if you ever—if ever was litigated—if you, in the absence of that expert making that recommendation, you could have some challenges with it. So, um, but you're right; it does have to be based on the products because you can't look at decks and can't lump them with walkways and other exterior elevated elements. They have to be isolated by product type to get within those numbers. Yeah. Okay.
1: So it's—it's it's each association. Is going to be different. They're all going to have different requirements, right? It's there's no there's not going to be a hard and fast rule.
3: Definitely not. You no, and that's one of the hard parts too. Is, is managers have approached me and, and they've said, "Well, what? How much does this cost?" Right? I mean, I'm sure that's that's a, going to be the number one question. Well, what do we reserve for this? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it depends on each building type. How many elevated elements you have? How big your building is? What the access is to all of those? Am I going to be able to, do I have to go through every single unit to get onto these balconies or walkways or whatever the case may be? And when that is is figured out, then we can give you budgetary pricing. And so that's why, you know, we do consultations and everything else ahead of time. Um, but yeah, there's no hard, fast number of $150 a balcony. It, that doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like managers and associations are, are going to have to work with the reserve analyst and kind of reserved for a worst case scenario because if we start with 20, 20 decks and the statistician says no we need more I mean, we don't really know how much it's going to cost until we actually get into it and find out what we find
2: yeah absolutely um and that's something uh, you know that we've as as this legislation has been rolled out obviously we've been working with a few communities that have retained architects and engineers to kind of begin the process of inspecting this and there have been some interesting proposals so in associations where and Paul you can probably speak to this better than I can There are some communities that have closed deck systems and there's no way to visually inspect the beams that come out to support these decks and so as you point out you can do boroscopes and things like that but some of the proposals that they're evaluating is whether to put in kind of louvered access stores um, so that it's a, a, it's a larger upfront cost. But given that they're going to have to do this every nine years in perpetuity, there might be a significant cost savings over time to just have access stores where someone can go up. And then you can do a 100 percent inspection. You save the cost on the statistician and you're, you're confident that everything is performing the way it should. But then
3: you have to make sure that you're not um, breaching fire rated assemblies. Totally. And so that's what we're up against, too, where they're like, hey, we want to put access doors in these walkways or in these uh, private decks and then we look at the plans we're like yeah but this is a fire rated system yeah. and so to put an aluminum access door in a fire rated system breaks the fire rating and so there are certain fire rated access doors that you can order and get but then it gets a little bit tricky so yes absolutely because there's going to be additional inspections in the future it's good to be able to just open an access door pop your head up and say okay everything looks good but the fact that you have other assemblies at play and other ratings at play, it gets a little bit
2: tricky. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why and you're absolutely right. It's case-by-case case basis and that's why you work with the experts to make those determinations because you could very well, like you say, come into a situation where were you to do that, you're going to have much bigger problems down the road. So, absolutely.
1: Okay, so we've got our statistician, we've got our engineer, we go and we inspect all of the units, we get our, we, we get our findings. And then there's supposed to be a report. The engineer does is supposed to have a written, stamped, or signed report. That report then gets incorporated into the reserve study. So I think one of the differences between SB 721, the apartment bill, and SB 326, the the CID bill, was that the apartment bill had a repair requirement, that repairs had to be made within a certain time frame as a result of the findings, SB three twenty six doesn't have that repair requirement, but it says that it needs to be incorporated into the reserve study. So there's still a funding requirement, it sounds like, and I think that because it's part of the reserve study now, the membership is put on notice. So there could be a liability issue as well if we just put the re- the report in the files and don't really do anything with it. Is that? Do you see that?
3: I think that I think the main distinction point in terms of what they find during their inspections is going to be either it's a life safety issue or it's just normal maintenance. So the normal maintenance issue, yeah, we'll go into the reserve study, and they'll say at the end of it, make sure you're recoding these every five years. Make sure you're coming back to do your inspection in nine years. Uh, we, we see a little bit of staining here, but it determines it's not anything that needs to be you know, inspected or repaired right now but we suggest that you come out and take a look at it in another three years on just this element or whatever the case may be. In that case, yes, there is no requirement to go out and do a a repair immediately. But if there's a life safety issue, there's a reporting function that has to go in where they notify the city building inspection and that the the building department will then come back and say, okay, well, we've been identified, we've been told of a life safety issue here and that area needs to be deemed off-limits, you'll red-tag it, and then it almost forces a repair. Mm-hmm. So while it doesn't say you have to repair it, it basically says if you don't repair it, you're not going to be able to use it right. because the building you know, department is going to come out and red-tag it.
1: Well, and, and I believe that the building department, somewhere in the legislation, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I believe that there is language in the legislation that gives the either the building department or code enforcement or whatever city department is is gonna be enforcing this, that they can charge the association for their costs to enforce, I believe. Yeah, says local court enforcement shall have the ability to recover the enforcement costs.
2: Yeah, that's correct.
1: So you were saying Paul, um so if there's immediate threat to safety, that report to the local code enforcement, that has to be done within fifteen days of completion of the report. So that is it's an immediate threat to safety. Code enforcement needs to be immediately notified which essentially is going to trigger a notification from the city or the county to the association that this needs to be corrected now. Yes. And it, then,
3: and that's when it gets tricky for HOAs. Right. Because a lot of these HOAs, at least some of, some of the ones that we've been called out to look at so far, they're 30, 40 years old. They know they have issues and they've neglected maintenance and they've neglected, uh, and they, and they've put it off. And now they've called us out, because their managers on top of it, and they want to, and they want to, you know, get out ahead of the the rush that's going to be at the the last moment of this. And uh, and we find something, and we say this isn't safe, this isn't right. And sets of balconies or walkways uh, are no longer deemed safe, and they're red tagged, and we've alerted the building department. And then the HOA comes back and says, "Well, how are we going to do this? Because our reserves are at." Twenty percent, or 10%, or whatever the case may be is. Even if they're 100%, they still don't have the money sometimes to come out and do that. And so it gets really tricky for the associations where they feel they're shooting themselves in the foot, but really what they're doing is they are saving lives, legitimately saving lives, by making sure that you know they're keeping their, their building safe and they're not having their homeowners walk out. Onto unsafe conditions because the liability of that that is huge, you know, and actually having this bill out there saying you have to inspect and if you don't inspect and someone falls through, I mean that's 100 percent on the association.
1: Well, and there's a huge difference between a rear balcony, but an extra balcony that's that's off the side of the unit, off the bedroom, versus like where I live, it's a front balcony. I go up the stairs, I walk across the catwalk, and I walk across a front balcony to my front door. So if that gets red tagged, I have lost access to my home so that creates a whole other issue where now the association is essentially prevented or the building department has prevented a a homeowner from access and that usually is a PR nightmare for the association to say the least
3: but wouldn't you rather lose access to your front door than fall through your balcony
1: oh absolutely (laughs) absolutely no I'm it's it absolutely needs to be done but I think that is one of those things where when the association has been Burying their head in the sand for so long And has been deferring maintenance Because if we're getting to the point where we're red tagged There's deferred maintenance There's underfunded reserves And when the homeowner can't access their home That's going to come to roost
3: Absolutely I've In dealing with construction defects Up and down the west coast for, For so many years now I've seen real defects I've seen real issues inside of walkways and balconies I've seen stuff that is Just ungodly unsafe and you wonder how it even passed inspection to begin with, and then the fact that these HOAs have been living with this condition for for so many years. I, I've got on balconies before, and I said, I don't, I can't be up here, you know. I'm not, I'm not a small guy. I need to get, I need to get down, and I'm not going to let my team up here until we do emergency shoring and, and get it, get it safe. I've seen that many, many times. And then now, when you think of those HOAs that haven't done their inspections and they're, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years old, and they have these elements that are just rotted out from the inside, there are people that there are lives that will be saved because of this, but it will have a financial impact on the association.
1: I think, um, you know, our firm has has taken a different position than several other in the industry. Most of the time when we get hit with new legislation, it becomes, we feel like it's so onerous on the association and it's going to be so much more expensive. And we feel like the legislature just keeps messing with our industry And when this piece of legislation came out, you know, our firm kind of took a a different position and said, this is the legislature making the boards do their jobs, right? The board and the association has a fiduciary duty to maintain the assets of the association. That's their job. It's not their job to keep assessments down. And so this bill essentially puts the board on notice to say, you have a fiduciary duty, to assess properly so that you can properly fund reserves so that you can maintain these exterior elevated elements and, as you said, to protect the safety of the membership. I like that there is a component in here that requires that the report be considered and made a part of the reserve study. It says the reserve analyst must consider the opinion in preparing the reserve study so the association is, no, is on notice. There's there's going to be future funding requirements as, as a part of their function to maintain these, this community.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, to your point, I mean, these are all maintainable components. And if they are properly maintained, this should not be a significant added burden, right? So as you say, as long as the board is discharging their obligations to the community, Maintaining these components, um, you know, it gets built into the reserve study. It shouldn't have a significant impact on on the association's finances. It, in the beginning, it might for a few communities that have been negligent. Um, it's going to create some issues, but going forward, once it's done right, um, you know, everyone will be better off for it and safer.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The the newer communities, the the statute says that they're supposed to get their first inspection within year six. I think or at mm-hmm. e- at year six for anything that is built starting January and or get their right. certificate of occupancy or uh, allow people in the building, basically. So six years from now for a new building, they have to get their first inspection. And I think that was done on purpose because there's a statute of limitations of 10 years for construction defect. And so they're allowing those new buildings the opportunity to inspect for potential defects, go back you know, through SB 800, which is the Right to Repair Act, go to the developer and say, hey, we've noticed some issues. And then from that point on, it sets up that every nine-year inspection criteria, which you're not going to be in a position where you're 30 years old and you don't have the funds to do it because you're going to be inspecting it right. It is just those HOAs that are 30 years old and, and don't have the funds right now that are going to be more impacted than the other ones, but they also need to be made safe.
1: Right. And and it's going to become a part of the reserve study. Um, The report itself is supposed to be maintained as a record of the association. So I believe that that it could mean um, it, it doesn't say that it is a quote unquote association record, but it does need to be kept on file with the records of the association. So it may or may not be available for member inspection. But just the fact that it's being incorporated into the reserve study, that reserve study gets sent out to the membership annually um, as part of the disclosures. I think that it's difficult for an association to do their first inspection by 2025 and then have nine years before they have to do their next inspection. If at the end of that nine years, if we're not properly funded, I think it's harder for the board to say, well, we didn't know because they think that they did know. And there's a report on file that said that they should have known and they should have funded appropriately. And so if there's a special assessment, I think there's, there's a, a possibility of liability issues and personal liabilities, I think, for board members who don't take these reports seriously and, and act appropriately.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they need to, if the board is on notice and has knowledge of issues through these inspections, they need to act on them so they can work with the, the professional that was retained for the inspection in conjunction with their actual repair contractors to do what they need to do to make sure, again, people are safe and that they're discharging their ongoing maintenance obligations. Absolutely.
1: So, we're talking a lot about funding issues and funding for the repairs themselves. What about funding for the inspection itself? Is that something? Do you think that that's something that they could start funding in their reserves? Um, I mean, it's we're 2021, so we have four years before our deadline to finish the inspection. You know, we're talking about some of these communities that are 30 plus years old that may be underfunded. We're talking about how expensive it could be just to do the inspection itself and the engineer and the statistician. Is Do you think that that's something that they can start reserving for?
2: Yeah, they, everything that's going to be required uh, to comply with this new legislation should get started now. You don't have to do your inspection today, but you need to get the wheels moving. So get an expert that complies with the requirements of the statute, begin the discussions, figure out what the inspection protocol may look like, how many units we need to get into, are we going to do 100% or less than? Um, with the use of a statistician are there alternatives that we can do to minimize the cost of this in the future for ongoing inspections? But they absolutely should get started now because there's tens of thousands of uh, common interest developments in California. Many of them will fall under this new legislation. And if everyone waits till the last minute, the experts that are qualified to do the work in conjunction with the repair contractors will be in short supply. And you could very well be in a situation where you will not comply in time with this legislation and get exposed to liability.
3: Yeah, it's going to come down to supply and demand. And the amount of people that do this industry, it's it's a small, you know, industry that that of people that can do it. So, in terms of the cost and the association of that cost, people need to get on this now, and they need to call out for consultations. And that's something that we do is managers will call and just say, "Can you come out and tell me what we're up against here?" But they're they're looking to do this. We know this is something that we're going to have to do in the next couple of years. Can you at least come out and tell me? what we're up against and we'll go out there and we'll do a free consultation there's a lot of companies that will and we'll say yeah you 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 know the way your building is put together do you have as-built plans and elevations that are going to help us is there any unit matrix that you already have are we going to have to create all this stuff from scratch
0: today's episode is brought to you by altera assessment recovery altera provides comprehensive attorney supervised assessment collection services to community associations throughout california trust us with your collection needs we will get the job done done right and as quickly and efficiently as possible altera assessment recovery where the collection team you've been looking for
3: and then based on that we can give them some budgetary numbers and so it's not like it's an unknown number until we start the inspection you can call for a consultation ahead of time we'll come out there and tell you if we see anything that looks like it's going to be a little bit tricky or we'll also let you know if there's some areas that we think might be a problem if we get into it just fyi before we uh go red tagging things as well.
1: And what about associations that are already in the process of doing their normal maintenance? So we know that we're due for, to resurface our balconies. You know, we know that we're due to take a look at our balcony. Or we have wood railings. You know, it's time to take a look at those. As you're putting those proposals together and, and you're working with those associations, Do you talk about alternative materials? Do you talk about getting rid of some of the wood?
3: Not only that, but we're also combining the SB 326 inspections with these repairs. And so if we're out here and we're repainting the exterior of your community, for example, or recoding all all of your walkways or balconies, we'll say, now is the time to check this box. We're already out here, we're notifying all the residents, we're in the area, we have our boom lifts up, we have scaffolding or whatever the case may be. Now's the time when you combine that with your SB 326 inspections and just get it done with. Get it off, you know, get it off the books. And so, and it saves cost in doing that as well because access turns out being a, somewhat of a significant cost to doing the inspection. Just getting on the balconies, and so if you're already there, you, you're able to save money. Because they
1: don't have to wait until 2024 to do the inspection. No, if we're absolutely. Already, not. If we're already working on the elevated elements now, let's just inspect them now and get it done and over with. I,
3: I think we've done about 20 of them already, just and before the law even. Or, you know, it's, it's in its infancy now in terms of coming out, and we've already done t- at least 20 of them. So I, I know that it's something that managers are jumping on top of, and especially if they can do it in conjunction with other repairs.
1: And then they would just have nine years. So if we're doing we're, we're doing painting or deck resurfacing now, and so we're going to do the inspection now, then it's the next one is nine years from now, not yep. nine years from twenty twenty five.
3: Nine years from the date of the inspection.
1: Great. That's actually that's really great advice because I think a lot of associations and, and a lot of a, man, a lot of managers are thinking, okay. While I'm doing my deck resurfacing now it's an opportunity to kind of take a look at them and, and plan for the future but I think that a lot of a lot of us are thinking 2025 I don't really need to think about this until 2024
2: 2025 yeah well it's so much more cost effective too when you're already mobilized the team is on site the deck elements are largely exposed you have access that you had to coordinate with the owners I mean you've killed you've you've taken out so many of the logistics issues already so it's Incredibly wise to do it in conjunction while your vendors are already mobilized doing other yeah. work. Yeah, and chances are over the next
3: four years now you're going to have some repairs to your building or you, you know some type of of a, of a repaint or a, of a balcony. You said there's I think there's fifty thousand plus HOAs in, mm-hmm. in California. And chances are, a lot of those are going to have some type of work done in the next few years, and so those managers need to just be, a, you know, understanding of the fact that there is a requirement that's that's looming, and they should be putting that in front of their board, saying, "Hey, now's the time to take this on as well."
1: Now, if they are dealing with um, cantilever decks, if they are dealing with predominantly wood structures, are there other materials? Is is that a possibility to do some capital improvements and and take some of that wood out? They might not be able to get all of the wood out entirely. Um, but can they change some of that? There's
3: always, yeah, there's always a possibility of doing that. It comes down to, you know, cost benefit, mm-hmm. it, you know. Does it make sense for us to pull these things out? Now, if they're rotted and if they want to come back in with some additional or alternate materials, absolutely no problem. I, and I think, that's, um, I think that's a good thing to consider when you're looking at ele- elements that have rotted over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it is just, you know, 40-year-old wood it's done its job for 40 years, replacing it with wood is always going to be cheaper than coming in with some Mm -hmm. other, you know, alternative material. And so only in certain cases would we recommend coming in with something different.
1: Well, I think, um, Paul, I think you made the best point, and that was, you know, there's no reason to wait. Go ahead and get started now, because we're talking about something that needs to be done within the next four years. If we're actually looking at our regular maintenance for our exterior elevated elements, we're supposed to be looking at them every three to five years anyway, so if we're just following our regular maintenance, the course of our regular maintenance, we should be in a position to go ahead and get up there and inspect them and, and get started on this now.
3: Yeah, and that's that's the biggest thing, and I think that's why they've also given five years. The, the only thing that I'm running into is I'm running into these old HOAs who don't have the funds, and they're worried about what we're going to find, and, and there are a lot of them where they're saying, well... If you tell us, then we know, and then we're on record, and then we have to figure it out. Like there are there are HOAs that are in in a bad spot right now. I don't want to scare anyone from doing what they're required to do by the law, but there are HOAs that you know we've inspected and we said, hey, you have significant wood rot on these back private balconies, and you need to address them. And they've gone through and they've put letters to their members and said you can no longer go on your back private balconies until we've repaired these. And then they're sitting there saying okay, well, how am I going to raise $280,000 to repair all these back balconies when we only had $40,000 in our reserves and we have a major drainage issue that's leaking into all of our basements right now as well?
1: But I think that that is precisely the point of this particular piece of legislation is that the the legislatures wanted the members to be able to keep the board in check and to require that the board fulfilled its fiduciary duties. So these associations, and it's usually multiple boards over a, a course of several years or decades that have consistent, consistently underfunded and have consistently kept their assessments artificially low. And to now turn around and say, well, we wanna know what we're in for because we know we have to do this by 2025, But we really don't want you to give us a written report because then you're going to put us on notice and then we're going to be liable. Well, you're still burying your head in the sand. You're still not resolving the issue. And where you would have four years to to properly fund and reserve for this and start raising your assessments slowly so that the membership can can ease into those new assessments. Now you're putting yourself into a position where now we're going to have a large special assessment down the road. Because we procrastinated. And, and to my mind, I think that that is, that is the board making a knowing decision. And I think that that puts board members at personal risk of liability. And I question whether or not that would be something that the insurance is going to cover because they knew better and they chose, they, they chose to bury their head in the sand. And I think that that's, that's why we have this legislation now is because that's been going on for too long and kids got hurt. And kids died, and that and that can't happen anymore.
3: And it's not just that one incident. There's plenty of other incidents where balconies have collapsed and walkways have collapsed, and and walkways that need emergency shoring because portions of them have collapsed.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: This is a real this is a real issue. It's not based off of one single defect that happened. Um, multiple. I mean, I don't know how many, what percentages of of HOAs go into defect litigation, but it's something substantial. And there are legitimate issues that are, you know, festering underneath these walkways, that left unchecked are, are going to hurt and potentially kill more people, God forbid. So it's a, it's a real piece of legislation, and, and I and I applaud them for pushing it forward. And now it's just getting the education out there to the to the boards and to the managers, um, and trying to help them figure out how they're going to do it you know we we do these consultations i talked about and we're calling them kind of our pre SB30 or 326 inspections where we're going to walk with you and the board and we're going to say hey you might have an issue here when we when we get out here with our architects and engineers and so you know you might need to figure there's going to be some potential costs coming in and and you know you need to start thinking about how you're going to take that on already and
1: yeah that's, that's the recommendation that we're making is you know do a soft inspection. Even if you don't do it with a structural engineer, you know use your general contractor that you work with all the time. 100%. Go out and do a soft inspection. Get a general understanding of what it is that you're dealing with so that you can start funding for it. If you need to go get a loan, now is the time to start working on that. Um, there are financing options that are available. But if you wait until the last minute, as you said, Tim, you know, and, and, and Paul, there's you're going to run into supply and demand, and you're going to run into not having um, engineers available to do the inspection, contractors to make the repairs, um, you, you know, whether you may or may not be able to get a loan, depending on you know the financial status of your association, versus if you were to start that right now and really start diving into um, what's needed.
3: And, and to do that in conjunction with any repairs that you do over the next four years, I think is crucial. Mm-hmm. You know, I always preach to HOAs that there's like homeowner fatigue, right? Don't keep coming back to the same homeowners with different projects every six months, every four months, every year. Just understand what your outlook is for the next few years. Get it all done. Rip the Band-Aid off. Take care of your inspections. Don't come back over and over and over again because all you're doing is wasting money and time, and, it, and it's not you know, efficient for you as, as, a, as a board and as, as a manager. Understand what you have coming up and plan for it to all happen at the same time.
1: That's great advice. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. We'd also like to thank Paul Pickett for your time and expertise today. Make sure you visit our website at TinleyLaw.com if you haven't already, where we break down this episode and link to our blog article, SB 326 Signed, Balconies, Branches, and Builder Defect Actions. Then stay tuned for our next episode.
0: To share or subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast, visit us at TinleyLaw.com. There you can find links to everything discussed in this episode, locate helpful resources, check out other episodes, and submit questions for future topics. And be sure to tune in next month for our next episode. As always, the views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests, do not constitute legal advice. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, please consult with your association's legal counsel. This is Tinley Talks presented by Tinley Law Group, your community, your counsel.